0: To ComposerQuest, I'm your host, Charlie a composer in Minneapolis, and I started this show to share insights from other composers and songwriters about making music. You can hear all the episodes at ComposerQuest.com, and say hi on Facebook or Twitter if you enjoy the show. This episode, I talk with sci-fi songwriter John Anilio. John shares some awesome tips about writing melodies and thinking about musical form. Sonata form kind of gets back to this
1: idea of a seed and everything growing out of it. When you first study something like sonata form, it's intimidating. You're like, oh my God, like this is what Mozart writes in. But
0: if you just think of it in terms of melody, it's very simple. John has set out on his own composer quest this year. He's going to be putting out one piece of music every other week. And he's challenged other artists out there to join him in creating art and actually finishing it. A lot of people feel
1: like they have a book in them, or they have a song in them, or they have a TV show idea. You can sit around and talk about that, but until it is actually reality, it doesn't count. If you want to grow as any sort of creative person, you need to
0: finish things. Over the years, John's built up a creative community online through blogging, podcasting, and social media. In this episode, he gives some tips on promoting your music online in a way that actually makes people want to listen to you. Follow the 80-20
1: rule. You shouldn't be posting about your own stuff more than 20% of your posts, your tweets, or Facebook messages. You don't go to a party and you don't go, hey, hey, I do cool stuff.
0: (laughs) So I hope you find my talk with John Danilio enlightening. I know I did. I should be writing I should be working on my So I'm on the line with John Anilio. John is Skyping over from New Jersey. So, John, thanks for being with me. Oh, thanks for having me, Charlie. Appreciate it. I've noticed that you have started up a challenge this year for yourself in 2013. Could you uh, explain that a little bit?
1: Oh, sure. Um, Last year, I was not very prolific, and I always prided myself on being somewhat prolific in my, my songwriting and my recorded output. And I realized at the end of last year, even though it was a good year for me as a singer songwriter in terms of performing, and I actually did like a little bit of touring this year. And I had a good year in terms of that. But in terms of my songs and my recording, uh, I only recorded three new songs. And that to me was unacceptable. (laughs) So I set that challenge for myself of putting out 23 new pieces of music. I can't do the Jonathan Colton thing a week. I, I just, I have a full-time job and I have a family and I just can't put out a song a week. It's just not going to work for me, but I can probably do one every two weeks. And then I thought, well, 24 and 13 doesn't sound great, but 23 and 13 <laughs> sounds good. And that gives you a little wiggle room. So that was a challenge that I set for myself, but I sort of put that challenge out to my community as well. I have a group of people that I associate with through social media and my blog and primarily through my my email list. A lot of my audience are are writers, particularly science fiction and fantasy writers, but there's also a lot of other musicians and visual artists and people who do crafts and stuff so i've and, and other bloggers and podcasters too so I thought well why don 't I put this out to them too and then that way we can sort of have this little community to sort of keep pushing ourselves to do more creative work this year. And I've been really pleased with the amount of people that are doing it and the quality of their work. And I've done four pieces already this year, and they're all instrumental pieces. And I've actually landed a couple of little scoring jobs for different multimedia things already. So it's it's
0: been working out great so far. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, what inspired you to get back into instrumental writing meeting the people that were sort of at the top
1: of the food chain that I'm in, I just realized that, at least for what my life is, having a family and everything else, I don't know if there is a full-time living in that. Not that many people are going to hire you to write pop songs, but people will hire you to write some instrumental music. And it is a very competitive field, but I do have a lot of contacts in within this. So I thought like, well, maybe I can score a few jobs. And, and I've already started scoring these li- little jobs so far, but it's very encouraging considering I've only been doing it for, uh, you know, two months.
0: Yeah, definitely. How do you approach instrumental writing versus doing a pop song? With a pop song, I'm very lyrically driven, because I I
1: used to write songs, I would just like come up with some cool music and then start writing words to it. And I don't know if you had this trap, writing songs where you come up with a cool verse, and then you get to the chorus, and it doesn't really make sense or meet up. And so, so that's a way I used to write years and years ago. But what I realized as a songwriter, the best way to write a song is from the hook first. So coming up with a strong lyrical hook, Is my first order of business, then writing verses is kind of easy because you know where you're going to. You have a destination. And in terms of writing instrumental music then, because I think I'm a singer-songwriter, I still want to be able to sing the melody. And coming up with, and I've listened to Composer Quest, and I I listened to a couple of episodes, and I think it was the one with uh, Your Old Professor,
0: Dr. Brian Campbell.
1: Yes. And I yeah. believe he said, and and this is what I think about when I write instrumental music a lot too, about how your piece should have a seed that everything else grows out of. Mm-hmm. And so for me with an instrumental piece, often I will come up with a, an eight measure melody that is singable and stands on its own that I get in my head. And a lot of times I'll just have my iPhone and I'll, I'll just sing little melodies into it. And then I'll sit down at my guitar or at a piano and I might just do a really rough harmonization of that melody. And then I'll decide what I want to do with it from there. So, so far this year with the four instrumental pieces that I have out, one of them is an ambient piece that doesn't really count in this way. But the other ones I did, two are in rondo form and one is in uh, sonata allegro form. But they So
0: could you remind... Uh- People who forgot what rondo form is, <laughs> including me. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so rondo form—the little guitar instrumental that I just put out—that's rondo form. It's basically A B A C A, and it can be more than that. There's different. So, it's basically you have your A section, which is your first eight measure melody. Then you have a B section, which would be contrasting to that melody. Then you return to your A section. Then you have a C section, which is a different contrasting melody. and then you go back to the A section to finish it off. That was a very popular form in the classical period. This other piece that I put out, which is actually very like sort of progressive rock oriented because it was like odd time signatures and electric guitar stuff and all sorts of crazy stuff going on in that, but if you analyze it, it's a rondo form, same thing. the other piece that i put out at the beginning of the year called the town sonata is obviously a sonata form have you written things in sonata allegro form before
0: charlie um i've studied it i my issue when i'm writing is i forget about form sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and i guess i'm more of a um what's the term
1: well, I could I can give you the literary term because I talk to so many authors and I think what you're getting at is the literary term is it's, are you a plotter or are you a pantser? And they call it pantser, meaning you write by the seat of your pants. Oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, so you <laughs> so you would be more of a pantser and I'd be more of a plotter. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, I'd like to be more of a plotter. Well, you know, it, it depends on how people develop because I think I was more of a pantser. Like I think a lot of times when I was starting out the way I would write instrumentally or vocally would be just sort of noodling around on my guitar until I came up with something that sounded good and then just sort of hammering out a song from there. In terms of sonata form, I find that the most satisfying form to write in because it kind of gets back to this idea of, of a seed and everything growing out of it. And when you first study something like sonata form, it's intimidating you're like oh my god like this is what mozart writes in it's like i can't write that but it's actually when you if you just think of it in terms of melody it's very simple you have your eight measure form that's your your principal theme okay and then you have your secondary theme and when you're getting into sonata form it's usually so if you're in a major key let's say you're in the key of c major then your second theme would be in the dominant. So if you're in C, then you modulate to G. And then you have your development. You can do anything you want in the development, but what works for me is to take one of those themes or both of those themes, and you just mess with them. And that means you can modulate them to different keys, you can invert them. That's something I do all the time in my pieces. I take one of those themes and I invert them. Meaning, you know, if the first interval in your melody went up a third, well, then when you're inverting it, then it'd go down a third. And then what happens is you sort of have this logic to your piece, even though people may not hear that. You're sort of taking the themes, but you're manipulating them in different ways in your development. And then when you go back to the recapitulation, you state your first theme again. And this is where the beauty of Sonata form, I think, is your secondary theme, which was in the dominant, now is in tonic. G is now in that home key of C. And that sounds so satisfying to me after you go through all that development. So I love writing in that form, but mm. really all you have to do is write two melodies. And then everything else writes itself and doesn't really write itself if you have a lot of work to do. But you have that sort of scaffolding that you can work from. And that's that's what I like to do in my instrumental pieces.
0: What tips do you have for people on melody writing? Again, this is what your professor said. You know, if you can
1: sing them, that's a good place to start. But a couple of tips that I can give in terms of writing melody, have it be eight measures. What I sort of conform to when I'm writing is if you're writing in a major key, let's say you're in the key of C major. She- You'll have your eight measures of melody to start with, and it will end on the tonic. So again, if you're in the key of C, your melody will end on C. And in terms of getting there, there's lots of different things you can do. But a good rule of thumb is have it be singable, have it be within an octave, maybe even less, if it's all jumps, if it's all big skips of like a third or fourth or fifth or more, it's going to sound disjointed. If it's all just stepwise, going up one note at a time or down one note at a time, that's a little samey. So it's usually a mix of stepwise motion and skips and repeated notes too, culminating in ending on the tonic. And how you get there is really up to you. And to me, it's whatever catches my ear. Then that's kind of hard to define but that's where I start typically. I don't usually sit and go like, I'm going to write a melody. A lot of times it'll hit me when I'm in the shower or I'm driving or, you know, sort of that beginner's mind thing when you're not thinking about it. But I hate to say wait around for inspiration to strike because you, you kind of should just write every day no matter what. Yeah, I've only got 50,000 words to go before the end of an arrival. I've got everything. You're around creative people, and I think most people are creative in one way or the other. A lot of people feel like they have a book in them, or they have a song in them, or they have a TV show idea, and you can sit around and talk about that all you want, but until it is actually reality, it doesn't count, you know? I mean, when I was younger, I don't know how many songs I half wrote, or three quarters wrote, or 90% wrote but never quite finished and never finished recording or never even started recording, and no one knows that those songs existed. So it kind of doesn't count until you finish it and then put it out into the world. Now, I'm not saying put crap out into the world, but there comes a time when finishing and moving on, I think is, it's vital, because otherwise then you're just holding on to all of these old works. And I think if you want to grow as a musician, as a composer, as any sort of creative person, you need to finish things. That cliche of art is not finished, it's abandoned. It's so true, because you can always look at something, you know, and every song I've ever put out, it's like, boy, I wish I sang that second verse better, or boy, I wish that guitar take was a little better, or boy, I wish the lyrics were better in the bridge, or whatever the case may be. Yes, it can always be better, but you have to finish and you have to put it out because otherwise you're just the guy talking about (laughs) your art and you're not the guy doing it. You get better by doing it, finishing it, learning from that process, then moving on to the next thing. And honestly, that's part of the reason that I'm doing the 23 and 13 thing is because I was getting up in my head too much about certain songs it's like well people really like this song what if i don't record it that well and i just kind of figured like well if i get into this habit of just putting out a new song every two weeks and i really get that momentum going when i get to those songs like they'll just be the next song and it won't be a big deal who decided to have thanksgiving this time of year don't they know i'm trying to launch my
0: On your Laser Zombie Robot Love album, Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting that you have your main songs and then you have that many songs remixed. Mm -hmm. What did you learn during that process?
1: Well, I like doing remixes and I I actually, I I just liked listening to remixes when like they started coming about. I just always thought it was cool because I always liked cover songs too. And I, I, I look at remixing as sort of doing a cover almost, you know, and When I first started putting my music out there online about six years ago, seven years ago, however long it's been now, I found the uh, ccmixter.org. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, Hmm. but that's... I've heard the name, but... Oh, it's great. Uh, It's ccmixter.org. I haven't been involved in it in a long time, but it's a great community. And if you're a songwriter, it's really cool. And if you're someone that's just sort of interested in messing around with audio, it's really cool. So what it is, is it's a community. Uh, CC stands for Creative Commons, and I put out all my songs as Creative Commons, so people can use them for their podcasts or what have you, and they can remix them and do whatever they want with them, just as long as they credit back to the source. So, meaning if you use my song on your podcast, that's fine. Just say, "But who who did the song?" You know, that's what Creative Commons is. It's sort of an alternative to copyright. And CC Mixter is a remix community where people willingly put their songs up there to remix. So you sort of put your individual tracks up there. It's beneficial for the songwriter because it's a way to get your music out there. And it's beneficial for the remixers because it's giving them vocal tracks and other things to remix. It's a great community in that way. So I think people in the audience would really enjoy that from both sides. So yeah, ccmixter.org... I just started putting my songs up there and I would put, you know, the guitar tracks and the drum tracks and my vocal tracks and everything up there. And lots of people did lots of really cool remixes of my stuff. And I think that helped to build my audience in the early days, you know, cause it was new people listening to my stuff. And when I put the laser zombie robot love album out, I thought, well, what if I do some remixes and what if I do some acoustic takes and all the remixes are i did the remixing on it what i learned from doing it is you're sort of composing all over again there's nothing sacred about the songs once you get to that stage when you're trying to make that first initial statement as a song you know it's so sacred and you don't want to mess it up and you want it to be out into the world yeah when you get to remixing you're like i'll do anything i don't care like i'll just mess around and so i have a song called steampunk girl and the original of that song is very power-pop, you know, it's very heavy guitars and catchy melody and it's sort of like a, a metal-y guitar solo.
0: So to...
1: That arrangement is exactly what I wanted to do with that song, and I'm really happy with the way that one came out. With the remix, I'm like, I'm going to do a bossa nova remix of <laughs> it. I had that sort of beat, and I I played a a bossa nova bass line, and uh, my friend's a great saxophone player, and he came and did a a saxophone solo over it, and I reharmonized it a little bit, and so remixing is an opportunity to sort of reharmonize your songs, like, so it's sort of a great compositional exercise too because it shouldn't just be remixing it shouldn't be just like slapping a different beat on it and call it a day like why not try like a different if it was in a major key try to do some more minor kind of stuff it do everything just try to go to alternate chords try to add different rhythms and you know this is your time to play with it you'll learn something yeah you know? covers are a great way to learn about composing too just from the trial and error of learning lots of songs you realize what the structure of a pop song is and then it just sort of becomes intuitive after a while and then that's
0: when you can start writing ones and writing better ones you've had a long run with uh, the Functional Nerds podcast and your blog and do you have tips for people who are kind of trying to start an online community? Sure yeah that that's super important to me
1: boy uh, try, to, try to give some tips without just being riddled with cliches <laughs> 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 um well, f- a couple things. First, be a human being and, you know, don't try any weird tactics or anything like I I found that just being the most true to yourself is what people often respond to. So that's one thing. Picking whatever your format is, and you'll have multiple formats. So you're doing composer quests now. You're putting out music. You're on social media your you know whether you do a blog or not and you don't have to do lots of stuff you could do one but i would say whatever your mix is pick a schedule and try to stick to that schedule and be really consistent because i think lots of people get ideas to do a blog or to do a podcast or whatever and they're really excited about it at first and they put out a lot of content And then it sort of just shrivels up, you know, so whatever, whatever you pick, be consistent. I would say with social media, be active on it. Listen as much as you talk (laughs) and follow the 80-20 rule, which is, you know, you shouldn't be posting about your own stuff more than 20% of your posts, your tweets or Facebook messages. You should be talking about other things and not boring stuff you know (laughs) but uh, what what i do on twitter is in a day i'll often link to whatever my new piece is or my new podcast is but i'll never do it more than once or twice in a day but i tweet a lot i use a thing called buffer which is a thing where you can buffer out tweets throughout the day because i have a day job i can't be on twitter all day But I have it set so that it goes out of, I send out a tweet about once an hour, once every half hour, depending on, I have a schedule. And most of those are links to other people's stuff. (laughs) It's stuff that I find interesting, though. And it's stuff that I think my community will find interesting. That serves two purposes. Number one, you don't come off as a narcissistic jerk that's just talking about yourself all the time. And it's goodwill, too. I mean, it's not tit for tat and quid pro quo or anything. You can't pimp someone's project and then expect them to pimp your thing back. It often works out that way, but it's like giving a gift. Don't ever give a gift with the expectation of getting a gift back. So I have found just be as generous as possible, too. I try to be generous with my time. I try to be generous with helping people get the word out about their projects. and you know, mostly that's just a good way to be a human being. <laughs> but in the end, that's how opportunities arise too. Another tip is is build that email list. That's a big one. You know, if you follow any of the music business podcasts or blogs, they all will beat that drum and I will beat it along with them. I think it's really important. Um, That's one of the reasons why I give so much of my music away because I don't give it away for free. I give it away to be on my mailing list. And I've built up a pretty substantial mailing list. And believe it or not, some people are not on Twitter. And some people are not on Facebook. Or if they're on Facebook, they maybe don't check in that often. But everybody checks their email. And you have to be very careful and you can't spam people. And on my mailing list, um, I, I've gotten to the point where I'm actually emailing once a week now because of this 23 and 13 challenge, but I'm basically alternating saying I have this new piece and you can download it for free or pay what you want. And then the alternating weeks, I'm always asking people what they're working on. I'm always asking them them questions back.
0: Yeah, I noticed that I got that email from you and it is nice that you involve people in this project.
1: Yeah, well, because that's what you do. You don't go to a party and you don't go, hey, hey, I do cool stuff. <laughs> I hope you don't do that, at least anyway. But that, that's, not, <laughs> that's not the way people are in real life. That's not the way we should be in our online relationships, too. People want to talk. They want to talk about themselves. And I want to hear it. and And I mean that legitimately because it feels good to hear what other people are working on and you get ideas from them too. Uh, you know, so in doing this project, I have someone who's a great visual artist who for her challenge, she's doing a, a painting and uh, like a drawing and a, and a digital painting for every piece that I put out. And that's oh. awesome. And it's, and she's a great artist and I didn't really have much of a relationship with her before, This, But now I hear from her every week about what she's working on. And I hear from people that are writing stories and it's inspiring. And I think, you know, to sort of dovetail it to your initial question, it's like focusing on other people is a good way to go rather than just looking out for your own opportunities and and you're doing that because you know I reached out to you to tell you I liked the show and you immediately asked me to be on the show so you know that's that's the way it it were and I wasn't looking to be on the show I just really liked the show and I wanted to tell you because that keeps us going too because I know I like when people tell me hey functional nerds I really dig that show it it uh you know when you're working on the editing this for hours on end <laughs> And when you're like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Getting that email saying like, hey, digging the show. Oh, that's why I'm doing it. Because some people yeah. dig it.
0: So, Well, I do appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming on the show, too. No, oh, no problem. It, that whole last spiel. Even if there were maybe a few cliches in there, they're like awesome to hear. So. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. But thanks. I wish you best of luck with your project this year, putting out all these new... Songs and pieces. Thank you, Charlie. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks again for being on the show, Uh, John. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Composer Quest with John Anilio. For more of John's music, you can visit johnanilio.com. And Anilio is spelled A-N-E-A-L-I-O. I'll have links to all of John's music you heard in this episode at composerquest.com. And now, I'll leave you with the rest of John's instrumental piece called The Return of Titus Quinn.